This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin. Peter Lawson is a healthcare M&A expert and friend of our firm. Based in Florida, Lawson uses his background as a hospital CEO, health system executive, and M&A professional on the finance side to help health system clients work through their options when it comes to mergers, acquisitions, and partnerships. He was in town and spent some time catching up with the Gerard team, after which we recorded a conversation to talk about his perspective on distressed hospitals. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share the High Stakes Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Pete Lawson, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we just had a great conversation with David Gerard and Isaac Squires um, about the distressed hospital. And so if you would explain why you're here and sort of your your mission to help the distressed hospital in today's healthcare landscape. Well, great. Appreciate being here, David. And it's been a pleasure so far this morning and meeting you guys and seeing each other. I'm, I'm here on... Uh, other business that I've been involved with in my M&A work, and a lot of it involves giving strategic advice to what we see more and more as distressed hospitals. And uh, as part of our discussion today, you know, part of it is what is causing that, you know, hospitals to be distressed, uh, let alone um, what do communities do to reverse the course of these facilities. So part of what I see and you see in in healthcare is where are the distressed hospitals and many of them are in rural markets and small communities and but more and more you're seeing them in urban communities um, my sense is of hospitals is that they um, the distress is is being caused in, in a kind of in a good way with clinical advancements in medicine where patients no longer need to be using hospitals as we know them because of advancements in medicine and surgery and the, the demand for hospitalization itself, inpatient hospitalization, is has really gone in decline. And I think that's one of the challenges hospitals have is that it's because of those advancements, you your volume declines, regardless of payer issues and those things. So that's why the smaller hospitals tend to get more distressed than others because they don't have the volume to you know to treat patients clinically. As all this is happening, it's it's for good reasons um, in a clinical sense, mm-hmm. as you just discussed. If we're healthier, maybe not we're not, society isn't necessarily healthier, but we're we're finding new ways to care for ourselves, right. and, and medicine is doing that. At the same time, the community hospital has always been such a a bastion and a, and a hallmark of any individual community. Um, they are represented representative of community pride. They're a major employer, oftentimes the largest employer. And there were many people, as you mentioned earlier, people would go to be born. People were born at the, the community hospital and in many cases they they die there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really bookends uh, the lives of the people in these communities. So while there are many positive aspects of this change and this shift out of the acute inpatient hospital, uh, it's also driving a lot of concern because these communities are seeing their hospitals change and in some cases go away. So talk a little bit about that issue of the local environment and the local feeling about the hospital. Sure. It's very much what you said. The um, uh, hospitals usually are the largest employer in the market and people have, especially in smaller communities, born 
grew up there, worked there, died there. So the continuum of care has been kind of a hallmark of small community hospitals, and it's a very emotional social organization. But because of changes in healthcare, you know, many of the services have changed and shifted to larger organizations, um, larger institutions that can support uh, providing higher levels of care. And a good example is obstetrics, where today you, you truly need to have a viable obstetrics program. You know, your hospital has to, American College of Gynecology, the, the marker is 60 deliveries a month. And if you're in a facility that sees that many per year, you're not creating an environment of good quality healthcare. You're more risky healthcare. So you're seeing a lot of the obstetrics programs go away. And that component where I was born in the hospital has gone with it. Um, so you, you do see that challenge of shrinking service lines and people making active choices, for instance, in obstetrics, to have their baby delivered you know, 50 miles away in the setting that's their choice. So when it comes to elective care, in these communities, people are actively choosing their elective care somewhere else. So it's not like it all happened overnight and all of a sudden the hospital lost all its patients. The patients, people who live in those communities, they're electing when it comes to elective care to have their children delivered, to have their hip surgery, their open heart, their cancer care provided somewhere else when they're able to do that. Of course, in an emergency setting, you need to have an emergency setting in those smaller hospitals. But when it comes to elective care, people are choosing to leave that community and have their care elsewhere. And that's the fascinating part about it is it's not like this happened tomorrow and everyone left. They've chosen to do that. So what's left behind is, by choice, a, you know, a smaller serviced hospital. It's a really interesting point. It's a really interesting way to reframe it because it does shift the conversation from this thing that's happening to us, the hospital, to this is a conscious, and I'm using air quotes, decision by our customers. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the, the therefore is a little bit different then. It, it becomes, I think, a little bit more of an opportunity for proactive response rather than defensive in some situations. Right. And I think that's the difference between hospitals in those markets that actually end up surviving and the ones that are distressed. And when you look at what your facility organization is and then evolve your service lines to match that, I think those are the hospitals that will survive as opposed to, you know, we're always going to keep this acute care hospital regardless of what the changes are in healthcare in the market, but we have to have a hospital here and we have to provide these services, you know, come hell or high water. And what I encourage communities and leadership and facilities is, well, look at your mission, you know, your, your mission statement that has been around since the hospital was formed. When you really look at those mission statements, David, you don't see the this structure, is this hospital is going to be servicing patients in this manner. They all talk about, these are 100-year-old missions, they talk about providing health care services to the community. So what goes undefined that really should be reframed is what is the hospital? What is that today versus what it was 30 years ago? And then what is the community? Then how is this organization going to service both in a way that uh, is viable and provides good care. What happens when you have that conversation with executives 
uh, and, and you present it in that, that manner, that it, it doesn't say anything about these four walls. It says care in the community. I think all you know executives and boards already know that. They understand that. But part of it is um, pushing them when they are in a, a situation of transition to actually adopt that original mission that was there for them to you know, it, adhere to for the organization's success. You know, when you do that, you kind of have to talk about strategies of capitalization and service line management. What are we going to be, which requires a different mindset than we're just running a hospital. So it, it does take a shift. And I, I think it more so going forward, you know, the executives should be more mindful of what is what are the services we're providing here and it may be uniquely different than what they did historically as a hospital the last thing i wanted to touch on a bit was kind of going back to the community the feeling of community and the idea of of local control and partnerships and sort of where ownership lies within these organizations Um, and you made a really interesting point about local control in our conversation earlier so talk a little bit about kind of the the attitude and the perspective, because uh, I think that fits into, you know, to the to the mission of these organizations. The, the goal is to provide care. And so therefore, these other important but ultimately ancillary issues uh, need to be considered in a different light. I think it's uh, similar to reframing the discussion about, well, what is the hospital today? And then who do we serve? And the same is true of the notion of independence that you see you know, fewer and fewer independent hospitals, and then control. So I think independence and control go hand in hand. And those are the kind of the discussion points you see at local levels that we we want to be independent, but at the same time we want to control everything. And then when you compare that to the, you know, the what are you actually controlling? And are you truly independent? Your discussions should be more robust about what are you trying to accomplish? And I think it gets tied back to the mission. If your mission is... If you really know what your mission is today and you're planning for it tomorrow, that should affect the issue of independence and control. So if, if you're accomplishing your mission of providing healthcare service to a broader community, but you're doing that with the assistance of a larger regional, say, academic partner that's helping you with clinical tools, possibly capitalization, um, managed care agreements, is that actually a bad thing if it's helping you accomplish the mission today and going forward? And I, I encourage boards and communities to kind of rethink that notion of independence and control and think more of it as how are we meeting our mission here as an organization? So taking all of this and then if you can, you know, we like sort of bite-sized takeaways, distill everything we've talked about and kind of what you would say to the leaders of of a distressed hospital or, you know, a, a, an organization that is working very hard not to get to the point where it is distressed and, and needs to be reactive. But, you know, what's the what's the message? The message would be um, rethink how you're leading this organization and rethink, you know, what's really in front of you already is your mission. But apply what you already know as a seasoned executive and board about where you need to go and put more oars in the water for resources. And if that means partnering with larger system to help you accomplish that, that should be seen as a measure of success and not failure. And it, it is, it's a better way to accomplish a mission than just 
trying to go out alone and being independent. Great. Tell us a little bit about your work and where people can go to find you. I'm 35 year healthcare executive, in both operations and mergers and acquisitions and have a long uh, history in um, mergers and acquisitions and, and, and operations. And my, my current role today is uh, uh, my own M&A company where I assist hospitals and physician groups and organizations strategically and kind of have them rethink where to go from here. Um, so I provide strategic advice um, on both areas. I live in Naples, Florida, and I'm uh, available, um, you know, at the drop of a hat, I guess. Thank you so much for your time, Pete. David, good seeing Pleasure. you. Thank you. Once again, many thanks to Pete Lawson for taking the time during his visit to the office to sit down and chat with us. You can get in touch with Pete by emailing him at peterlawson at yahoo.com. Again, that's Peter. P-E-T-E-R, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, at yahoo.com. His phone number is 239-821-2540, and you can find him on LinkedIn by searching for Pete Lawson. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the High Stakes Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now.